Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, happy Mother's Day. I know sometimes dads aren't always the best at expressing our love and appreciation, but we love you and we appreciate all you've done. And so, dads, you make this a good day for mom. Pamper her, take care of her, take her out to a nice lunch, and let her choose where she wants to go. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with us to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. This is week 9 of our sermon series. We've entitled Authentic Faith. And I struggled a little bit with this week because I, I wanted to honor moms and honor Mother's Day. And I thought about preaching a special Mother's Day sermon, but as I opened our text to where we're going to be this week in our series, it's all about the love of God. (laughs) And I thought there's not much better of a sermon we could preach on Mother's Day than the love of God and all He has done for us. But we've been studying over the last nine weeks this idea of authentic faith. And we've seen God do a lot of things and, and work in a lot of hearts. And I've had people tell me story after story after story about how the Holy Spirit is moving and shaping and transforming them. And I've asked the question every week that I've asked you to go home and ponder and to answer very seriously in your heart. And the question is this, are you playing a game with God or do you have authentic faith? It's a very simple question, but it's a question I think that sometimes we don't fully answer. And I think it's very easy in the world we live in to play games and to pretend And to say all the right things and to act a certain way, knowing in our hearts that God's not really at work in our lives. And knowing in our hearts that we've never fully given ourselves to Him. And so I'm really excited about this series because I think it challenges us. It challenges us to examine our faith. It challenges us to take a look at the truth of Scripture and to understand that if we're truly following Christ, we should bear fruit. If we're truly followers of Jesus Christ, there should be some evidence of a changed life. And I'm excited about what God's doing around here and how he's moving and shaping. I'm excited about mission work and all the things we're planning for the future. In fact, the students that were in here, if you were in the 930 hour during Sunday school, George Seiler, who's the president of the International World Changers. Now, if you're not familiar with International World Changers, they are the student arm for mission work in the Southern Baptist Convention. And international world changers take students all over the world literally doing mission work. And Randy happens to know George, who's the president. And so George is here this morning. He's been here all morning. He said, why didn't he come in here and talk to us? Because he's talking to the students. That's where, he, that's where he wanted him. And he's explaining to them all the opportunities. I've told our students, by the time you reach high school and you get into your college years, that's a sweet spot for you for mission work. Because you got a lot of time and you got a lot of energy and you got a lot of passion. And the Lord wants to use that. And so we're planning, even as we speak, we're praying through a major international mission trip for our students next summer. Summer of 2014. And I'm not going to tell you all the details. George is going to be talking about it this morning with our students. You're going to be hearing a lot more about this. But we're going to challenge our students. And I want you to go ahead and prepare your hearts. I'm going to challenge our church that if there's a student that feels called to go on mission for Christ, we ought to send him. Or her. And I want you to be praying about what God may do in your heart, what God may do in your life as as He's stirring and moving and and shaping how He wants to lead. But we're going to focus this morning as we think about authentic faith again on 1 John chapter 4. 
Beginning in verse 7 as we read this together. I think we've got the passage on the screen. John begins as he's done so often in our study with a reminder of his love for us. A reminder of his compassion for Christ's people. And he says in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now this is a a, a major portion of scripture chock full of theological truth. And they're just major points. As I read through this this week and prayed through this and studied through this, there are literally sermons in every single verse. But if we wanted to summarize these first few verses, we could do it with our first point this morning. The first truth I want you to understand that will form the foundation of where we're going to go this morning. The first truth that John shows us very clearly is that God is love. Now you say, well, that's nothing new. I've heard that before, right? I mean, that's that's nothing you haven't experienced or haven't probably heard preached from a pulpit at some point in the past. But it's interesting the way John does this because if you were to really take this passage of Scripture, and I would encourage you to do something as you study Scripture. This is always helpful for me. You ought to take the passage of Scripture that you want to study and print it out on a sheet of paper. You go to BibleGateway.com. There are other sites. You can print it out in whatever translation you want to use. And I always double space it so I've got some room in between the lines. And I begin to read it, and I reread it, and I reread it. And as I begin to notice patterns, I underline or I circle or I highlight. And I'm kind of a visual learner anyway, so when I see it on paper, it kind of helps me understand. But I want to give you some facts about these verses that are very interesting. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, six verses. In those six verses, the word love is used 13 times. That's a lot for six verses. In those same six verses, the word God is used ten times. Now, if you use pronouns like him and his, and if you include the son in that count, then God is mentioned 18 times in only six verses. The phrase, love one another, is used three times. And so you don't have to be a biblical scholar to understand that John wants us to understand about God's love. John wants us to experience God's love. It's the major emphasis of these verses, and it forms kind of a foundation for what he's going to say from this point forward. But here's the very interesting thing about God's love. God doesn't give us his love simply so we can hold it to ourselves. I think sometimes we we misunderstand the point of blessings in our lives. You see, the Lord blesses us on lots of different levels in lots of different ways. And here's the problem we have sometimes with blessings We think that the Lord blesses us, and when he blesses us, he does that simply so we can be blessed. And that's true. He he wants us to be blessed, and he he wants us to, to receive these things from him to show his love. But here's the point. Over and over and over, we see in Scripture, when God blesses us, he expects us in turn to bless someone else. That's kind of the point of what he's doing. This little light of mine, you remember the the old song we sang it as a kid? This little light of this little light of mine, I'm gonna what? You remember? I'm gonna let it shine. And then there's the cool part, hide it under a bushel. Hey, look at y'all. Y'all are amazing. Wow, yeah, that's right. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to do what? I'm going to let it shine. It's a simple little song. We sing it as kids. But what profound truth. 
And we see that truth in this portion of Scripture. John tells us that God is love, but then he says, Dear friends, let us love one another. You see that? It's kind of like this idea of the love of God is flowing down from heaven, channeling through us into others. And John says, Because God is love, because of all that he has given to you, you need to love other people. Now this is a pretty... Deep theological idea here, God is love. It sounds pretty simple, but as you begin to wade in it and you begin to think through it, it's important for us. We don't want to misrepresent who God is, do we? We don't want to misunderstand who God is. And so the Bible teaches us a lot of things about God because it's really not about our opinion of who God is, really. It's about the truth of what the Word of God teaches about who God is. That's what's important. And as we study through Scripture, we see all sorts of instances where we can learn about the attributes and the characteristics of God. And so we know that God is all-powerful. We can understand that from the teachings of Scripture. We know that God is all-knowing. We know that God is present everywhere. And we read passages of Scripture that that kind of define and describe God for us. Like John chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. 1 John 1, 5, there Excuse me, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. This passage of scripture has kind of been on my heart lately and I read that earlier this morning. I'm thinking about the the consuming work of the Lord and his glory and his power. And I just can't hardly imagine what that must be like to experience what the children of Israel experience. But when we read that God is a consuming fire and that God is a light and that God is spirit, those are certainly things that describe the characteristics of God. But those are kind of hard to relate to personally, aren't they? I mean, how can I have a personal relationship with a consuming fire? That's kind of difficult to understand. How can I have a personal relationship with light? I mean, God is light. We read that. How can I have a personal relationship with spirit? That's kind of hard for us to understand. But when we get to this passage of Scripture in 1 John, and we read that God is love, we get it, don't we? Well, I can relate to that. God is love, and God loves me. And God wants me to love other people through him. But here's the interesting thing about God's love. It's never just words, it's always in action. And God demonstrates his love for us. We've seen this in this study, and John has brought this to our attention several times. It's a, it's a picture of his love for us and all that he's given to us. And we see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, John's very clear. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. But see, there's some implications we need to understand about God being loved. This is where we need to be clear about this. God doesn't just say that he loves us. God doesn't just think about us in terms of love. The Bible tells us very clearly that God is love. And so we need to understand that everything he does is based out of his love. Now that's very easy for us to understand as we begin to think about mercy. Because when God shows us mercy, it's done in love. We understand that. When God shows us grace... It's done in love. We understand that. When God shows us faith and allows our faith to grow, he does that in love. And that's very easy for for us to understand. But here's where it becomes more difficult. Watch this. When God judges our sin, he does it in love. When God administers justice in our lives, he does that in love as well. When God does things that we don't quite understand, he does it out of love. 
When God doesn't answer the prayer request that we so desperately wanted Him to answer, He does it out of love. That's harder for us to understand, isn't it? I think about my children. I have four children. My youngest is a little boy, Jonas. He's four. He'll be five very soon. And one of the things I've always felt was very important from a, from a father is for my children to know that I love them. I, don't, I, may, I may drop the ball on a lot of other parts of this life and how I raise my children, but they're going to know that I love them at, at all costs. And so I think about how I love my son and, and the things that I want him to, to know and understand. And here's the failure sometimes we have with love, and here's the confusion. Sometimes we think that love is getting the things that we want. God, if you loved me, you would give me all the things that we want. But that's not real love. That's a shallow, superficial love. See, true love is when we get the things that we need. There's a difference. And so when I deal with Jonas, I don't always give him the things that he wants. Because that wouldn't be real love, would it? For him, real love would be letting him eat candy at any point during the day that he wants to. Dad, if you'll just give me some candy, right? And so he, he sneaks to the refrigerator. I don't know if any other kids do that. I catch him sneaking, and he's real quiet, you know, and he's kind of got this sheepish look when I see him, and he's drinking a Capri Sun, or he's eating candy, or he wants to eat a banana, or he, something, you know, he's trying to sneak this food. If I can just demonstrate to him my love by giving him what he wants, but see, I know that's not best for him, because what he needs is to love the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. That's what he needs. He needs a father that will demonstrate the love of Christ right before his eyes. He needs a father that is willing to put all other things aside for the love of Christ. And so when I'm demonstrating my love to him, I have to correct him sometimes, don't I? And I don't let him act any way he wants to act. I don't let him do anything he wants to do. And so we tell our children, it's kind of the saying we heard as a kid, right? This is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you, right? We know the saying. You, you remember when your dad was about to spank you, you, you remember right before he said that, you heard the belt come just whipping out of the, right out of the clothes. You remember that sound, that pitch? You remember, you remember hearing it? And then after he said that, the next word, this is going to hurt me a lot worse than it hurts you. Yeah, right, dad, sure it is. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't understand that then, and physically I get that, but now I understand it emotionally. It hurts to discipline, doesn't it? But when we truly love, we correct because I want him to grow up to be a godly young man. That's what I want for him. That's first and foremost in his life. All other things aside, he needs to be Christ-like in his actions. And so I've got to demonstrate that for him. I've got to correct him. And I do that in all areas. Why? Because I love him. Maybe I always tell my kids, it'd be so much easier for me just to let you do what you want to do. You know how much easier that would be? Just do, what you, just do whatever you want to do. It's a lot easier. You're just going out, I'll do my thing, you do your thing. But I love them so dearly as you do with your children that I'm willing to discipline them and correct them because I love them so much. It's kind of like that with Christ in our lives. Christ says, I love you so much that even when I correct you and discipline you, I'm doing it out of love because I've got a picture for you. I've got a plan for you. I've got somewhere that I'm going for you, and I want you to follow me. But in order for that to happen, I've got to fix these things in your heart. I've got to fix these things in your life. I've got to correct these things. But I want you to notice what John does there in verse 11 as we think about the love that he showed us. Dear friends, since God loved us so, we ought to love one another. We've seen that over and over, right? God is love. God lives in us through the Holy Spirit. Of course, we understand that. Because God is love and because God has demonstrated his love for us, we ought to love one another. 
Because of God's great love, we need to show his love to those that are around us. But here's the difficult part about doing that. We begin to think about God's love and how he expects us to take that love and love others through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we come to this point in our lives when we're comparing the theological truth of the word of God with the real world we live in. And we kind of come to this conclusion. I understand I'm supposed to love other people. But you just don't know the guy that I work with. <laughs> you just don't understand how this guy treats me. Or you don't understand this person that I have to deal with on a regular basis. Or you don't understand how my life works. And you're asking me to love these people that, that frankly, Adam, they seem unlovable to me. How am I supposed to love others in the name of Christ? Well, John gives us a picture there in verse 13. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. This, he says, is how we know that we live in him. And he and us, so John said, here's the picture. Here's how we understand. He has given us his spirit. Verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And here it is again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So here's the question. How do I love others? Here's the second point we see. We can only love others because God's love abides in us. That's how we love others. If you think you're going to love that guy that's unlovable in your own strength, you're mistaken. If you think you're going to love that person that treats you so terribly out of your own abilities, you're mistaken. The only way you're going to love other people is by abiding in Christ. By allowing God's love to abide in us. Now, John does something very interesting in, in these few verses, and I've got those scriptures for you. Pull those scriptures back up for me. I've got them kind of highlighted. I want to point some things out to you. Through these few verses, 13, 15, and 16, we see this idea of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. So we see in verse 13, we live in him and he in us. You see that there? Verse 15, God lives in them and they in God. There's the idea of abiding together. Verse 16, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. See, we we see that through the Holy Spirit and through this relationship with God, we we abide in him and all things. And so I started thinking, what what does it look like to abide in Christ? What does that look like in our lives? When, When the rubber meets the road in the real world down here, what does that look like? And so I looked up the word abide. Abide means to remain, to persevere, to persist. And I started thinking about the truth of the Word of God and how we're called to abide in Christ. And the problem that we run into in our society today, in our culture, is that we're not really used to persevering in a lot of things, are we? We're not really used to abiding and persisting and remaining in a lot of things. I did some research. I was just kind of interested in this idea this week as I started studying through and thinking through this idea. Did you know that the average attention span, according to research, is about eight seconds? (laughs) Now, when I taught school, we were always taught that it takes about eight seconds for a question to form. And I was always taught as a teacher, you need to teach, ask a question, and then give some time for the students to actually think through for questions to be formed. And we were always told that that takes about eight seconds. Well, now I'm told you've only got an attention span of eight seconds. Now, that number is actually down from the year 2000 when it was 12 whole seconds, right? So a lot lot less now. That means every eight seconds, if something doesn't change, we're going to lose your attention. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average stay at a job in today's world is just over four years. Now, if you speak to younger people, I'm just reading statistics here. 
Millennials, these are people born between 1997, 1977 and 1997. 91% of those people expect to stay in a job for less than three years. Now, we, we, can, we can argue all we want to about right or wrong, but here's the world we live in. The day of starting in a company as a young person and working your way up through the ranks and retiring from that company 50 years later, those days are over, right? That's not the world we live in. The world of buying your first house when you're newly married and living in that house for the next 50 years and retiring in that house, those days are gone, aren't they? The days of kind of sticking it out and remaining and abiding for year after year, decade after decade, those days seem to be gone. And we go to Walmart and you get in line and if the guy's got more than four or five items in front of you, you're looking for another checkout, aren't you? You get frustrated when it takes a YouTube video more than about four or five seconds to download. You pull up to the red light and you're choosing the lane based on the number of cars and the make and the model of the cars in front of you, right? The the newer the car, I'm getting behind that guy, he's a lot faster. (laughs) I don't have time to wait on this car. That's the world we live in, quick, fast. The idea of abiding and remaining is foreign to us. But then we come to this passage of Scripture and we come to our Christian walk and we're confronted with biblical truth. And the biblical truth says very clearly, if you're going to walk with Christ, you've got to abide. You've got to remain. You've got to stay there. You've got to stick it out week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. A lifetime of service to the king. Now that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. That doesn't mean there, there are times we're going to be derailed. That doesn't mean we're not going to run into things that, 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 that kind of throw us off. But I think the clear teaching... The clear teaching of Scripture is we need to be faithful in our life with Christ. That picture is probably summarized best in John chapter 15, verse 5. You'll be familiar with this passage of Scripture. This is Christ speaking. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, do you remember? Nothing. Lord, forgive us for thinking in our own strength we can do anything. Lord, forgive us for thinking in our own strength we can raise our children. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking in our own strength we can be a Christian example in our jobs. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking in our own strength we can be the men and women of God you've called us to be because in our flesh we are weak. But if we'll walk that path with Christ, if we'll be faithful, if we'll remain in Him, then through Him we will accomplish much. Now here's what you're thinking and here's what you're saying and here's kind of what I think too. You know, that's difficult, right? <laughs> and the idea of abiding in Christ and living my life to serve Him, setting all other things aside and focusing on Him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of have to live differently in order to follow Christ, Adam. Well, yeah, I think that's kind of the point. <laughs> I think that's the point that we miss because we want to take Christ and we want to put Him into our culture, into our context and put Him into our nice little boxes. And we say, Lord, I want you to bless where I am right now in my job. And that's fine, we should pray that. And Lord, I want you to bless what I'm doing right here. And that's fine, we should pray that. But when's the last time we prayed to the Lord? Lord, you remove it all if you have to. I just want to serve you. You, you change it all, Lord. If, if you're going to call me to go to China as a missionary, I'll go. If you're going to call me to give up this job for your honor and for your glory, I'll go, Lord. I'll do. But I think sometimes we miss the calling of the Lord because we get so busy in all the other things of the world. Dale Moody said this. I love this quote. He says, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. I think that's right. 
Imagine a person that was sold out for Christ. Imagine a person that was faithful in all things to Jesus Christ, the amount of things that God would accomplish through that individual. But here's the bottom line. Following Christ is hard work, right? And it's not something temporary. And it's not something we can accomplish in a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years. It's a lifelong journey. But John gives us a picture of kind of what this will look like if we do this in verse 13. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. So here's kind of the picture. He has given us his spirit, right? And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John says there are kind of two ideas here. We can experience this love and we can know that we live in him and he in us because we experience the Spirit. We experience the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the direction of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit shaping us and molding us and moving us in the direction that he's called us to go. But we can also know that he lives in us because we testify that Jesus is the Savior of the world. John says you can know that God lives in you. You can have confidence in who he is. Now some of you have been challenged over the last several weeks by this teaching in 1 John. And you've been challenged over and over to examine your faith and to ask these questions of yourself of who you are. And and some of you, I'm confident, deep down know that Christ doesn't abide in you. And deep down you know that you're not abiding in Christ. And you may say the right things, you may act the right way, you may show up on a regular basis to Sunday school, you may have your Bible, and you may do all those things, and all those things are good, but you know in your heart that you're playing a game. And you know in your heart that you're not truly abiding in Christ. And you know in your heart that you've put other things ahead of Him. John says you can know through salvation in Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear about salvation. It's not simply walking an aisle and repeating a prayer. That can be part of the process. But salvation very simply is acknowledging your sins acknowledging your need for a Savior, repenting of your sins, and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's salvation. Romans 10, 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's got to be our starting point. If you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you can't ever... You can't ever find that satisfaction or that enjoyment or that joy of all the things that God has given you. Maybe we need to examine our faith. Maybe we need to examine our walk. Maybe we need to examine our salvation. Now verse 17, as we continue through this process, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. This is how love is made complete, right? So we're called to understand the love of God. We're called to allow that love to abide in us. And then verse 17, this is how the love is made complete. Now, by the way, this is a very hopeful portion of this passage of Scripture for us. There's a picture of what we can become. This is... How love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. 
See, we, we've seen this idea that God is love. We've seen that his love must abide in us. And then the third thing we notice is that God's love is and can be perfected in who we are. It's a beautiful picture of kind of where we can go. And it's a beautiful picture of where we can be. I had a conversation yesterday afternoon. I, I, I took the trash to the, to the dump. And at the dump where I, I guess all the dumps in Troop County, they have the prisoners working there. I noticed when I came up, drove up, that this was a young kid. Turns out he was 19. I just struck up. There's nobody behind me, and I just felt the Spirit lead me to talk. I struck up a conversation with him. This guy's getting out in June. He did some things that he hadn't done. I started talking to him about Christ and salvation, and praise the Lord, he'd accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but he made a comment to me. I just made some bad choices. I just made some bad choices, and I said, I want you to know something. It doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter what bad choices you've made up until this point. From this day forward, there's hope in Christ for you. And he can change all this, man. You're wearing this prison jumpsuit working at a dump. Now, you seek Christ and follow him. And he's got a plan for your life. He wants to take the love that abides in you. And he wants to perfect that in you. So that you can reach people for Christ and bring him honor and bring him glory. See, John kind of gives us the bottom line here. He kind of gives us the picture here in verse 17. This is how we know. This is how our love can be made complete. And then he says, in this world, we are like Jesus. John says the foundation is that God's love is perfected in us when we live like Christ. That's the picture. That's the model. You want to love that guy that's unlovable? You love him in the name of Christ. You want to live like God has worked in your heart and like God has done things in your life and you live by honoring Christ. You live like Christ. God's love is perfected in us when we live like Jesus. But see, we need to understand something very clearly about this teaching and about what we've seen over and over and over and over throughout the study in John. Talk is cheap. It's not about saying I want to live like Christ. It's actually about living like Christ. And John uses some very strong words in verse 20. And I think this is a section we all need to take heed and listen to. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. <laughs> That's a strong word to use, isn't it? We don't like to be called a liar. But John says very clearly, if you're going to claim to be a believer. And yet you're not going to demonstrate Christ's love in the world. You are a liar. John says, if you'll, if you'll allow that love to be perfected in you, you, you can have this confidence in salvation. You can have this confidence that there doesn't have to be fear. You don't have to fear seeking the Lord, afraid of what he might say. You know, that's kind of a scary place to be sometimes, isn't it? Lord, I'll follow you no matter what you lead me to do. What if he leads you to sell your house and move to China? <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> I meant I'll be nicer at work. That's what I meant, Lord. You didn't get that. Sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves. Are we really willing to pray for the will of the Lord in our lives? Or do we fear what he may ask us to do? John says you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You can have confidence in who Christ is. And you can have confidence of all that he wants to do in your heart and in your life. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 kind of sums this up. It gives us a real clear picture of who we ought to be. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, now watch this, and you can model your life right here, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant 
offering and a sacrifice to God. See, here's the thing that we need to understand about loving other people. It's the universal language, isn't it? It speaks all languages. Doesn't matter whether you're in LaGrange, Georgia, or San Juan, Moca, Guatemala, or Kurtich, Romania, or Zambia. It doesn't matter where you are. Love is universal, and Christ says you need to love others because of me in your life. Because of all I've done, because of all I've given, I'll give you the ability to love that's so why I ask you again as I finish up this morning, have you taken your calling as a believer seriously? Are you seeking Him in all things? Are you abiding in Him? Are you taking the love that He so incredibly demonstrated to you and showing it to others? The question I've asked you every, every morning I've preached this, and I'm going to end with this today, I want you to take this question very seriously because I think some of you haven't up to this point. Are you playing a game with God? Or do you have authentic faith? Because the way you answer that question not only affects the way you live now, it affects your eternity. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we desire to serve you And we desire to know you more and more deeply every moment of every day. Lord, forgive us for not prioritizing our lives as we should. Forgive us, Lord, for not taking the love that you so genuinely and incredibly shown to us and loving others. Father, forgive us for not abiding in you, Lord. We recognize that we're not where we should be, Father. But from this moment forward, let us take our faith seriously. Lord, help us to see that you're ready to do incredible things in our lives, Lord, and in the life of this church. Lord, I believe with all my heart, Lord, that something incredible is coming. But you're preparing us right now. You're preparing our hearts. And you're asking us again, Lord, to seek you where you may be found, to earnestly seek you, to honestly seek you, to know you, Father. And then, Lord, we know that when we do that, you're going to use us in mighty and powerful ways. May your name be glorified in all the earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you time to come down front if you need to pray about where you are with Christ, if you need to repent of your sins and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Some of you for the first time ever, or if you need to join this church, this is your time now as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.